So we like to think about Apple as this. You can't do that. You can't make scary face at me. I can't podcast with scary face in the same room. I have so few opportunities these days. <laughs> but it's not fair. Scary uh, face is scary. You should ask Kathy about scary face. It has evolved. <laughs> don't want it to evolve. I want it to stay in one spot. In one... Oh, God. Okay, shake it up. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. Hey, this is Colin. And this is Chris. And like, recording a wonderful podcast... In the same room as your your best friend, this is Shiny Podcast. Oh, shucks. Following the light and throwing a little shade on the newest and brightest in today's gaming and technology. God, this microphone is so good. It really is. You sound wonderful, my friend. Oh, it's beautiful. And you look wonderful. Well, thank you. I don't agree with that because it's really humid and gross and hot out, but uh, but you are too kind. Well, the long and the short of it is that I can see you this time. Woohoo! That's right, folks. If you did not guess by the intro, we are together live in Watertown, Massachusetts, recording the Shiny Podcast for you together at last. Yeah, if you were living under a rock for the past 10 seconds. <laughs> and, right? And I was. I was. You have a lovely rock here. Big old rock. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity at the top of the show to comment on this Ryzen build of a, a monster of a computer that I've only been able to talk to you about in the last several weeks. But now it is before <laughs> me, and I want to tell you, everybody listening, this machine is goddamn beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty slick. I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. The cable management is amazing. Plenty of RGB. But a lot of white space, and I mean, I mean, the box is white, but also there's a lot of negative space inside of the case, and it just looks super clean. Yeah, it's really nice. The airflow is really nice, keeps the temperatures nice and cool with just air cooling, but lots of room for air cooling, so if you, or, uh, liquid cooling, so if you wanted to do something crazy with that, the space is definitely there. And it's just, yeah, the, the, the cable management is actually what drew me to the case for, for this thing. Because if you open up the back panel, it's just all these dedicated channels for routing all of that stuff. And so by the end of it, you spend a little bit of extra time uh, putting all, all, all that together. But once sure. everything is together and you look inside, like this beautiful, open, completely open glass, like tempered glass pane, it's completely clean. There are no... No visible wires. No vi visible wires, like extraneous dangling, nothing. It's really cool, and it looks good. And the you know the 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 color uh, the colors shift along certain tracks built into the motherboard. It's 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 really slick. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, my 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 RAM also has some RGB on it. I only got it because it was on sale. It was a good deal, and it just happened to be RGB. So that that actually kind of worked out. That but, works out um, great. Yeah, the the case does have built in LEDs um, for 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 that, um, which I could I could hook up, uh, but the software for it is a little. Oh yeah, we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we talked about know. that. Yeah, so I, I don't know, not well, GDPR compliant uh, <laughs> RGB management software. <laughs> so we'll see if I hook that up. I will. I may just if I want to go that route and go crazy with that, I'll just get separate strips and hook sure. it up and and just do it independently. 
Uh, very cool. Of the case. Very yeah. cool. Another thing right off the top is Colin has been um, fighting the trenches of Windows license, uh, in the Windows licensing jungle in preparation for my arrival down here. Yeah. Yeah, That's that was a fun project that I worked. Well, when I say fun, I mean, it was fun because it worked out in the end. Uh, it was it was strenuous and tedious while doing it. So I, um, I, I, I knew Chris was coming and we both play Far Cry 5 and we played it, you know, co-op um, uh, from, from afar. But I thought, man, how fun would it be if I could get one of my old machines up and running with some newer hardware, um, but using an old hard drive and get that set up and up and running so that we could play it in the same room and actually it's not actually local co-op because it has you know he has to have his own copy of the game downloaded on an ind independent machine uh but i was like you know what i'm gonna see if i can get this up and running and so i uh uh tried to to, to do this and the system would not boot Nothing. because i was using new hardware like new motherboard new gpu all this new stuff with an older hard drive that I, I had and, and knew worked, but uh, it would not boot because of the hardware changes and it just would not do it. It was Windows 7. I think Windows 8 and Windows 10 uh, make that process a little bit easier. Uh, you don't need to necessarily have that Windows key and, and those hardware changes might not be quite so uh, detrimental to the process. Well, a lot of newer, um, a Bio. lot of newer, yeah, BIOSes Bios, have, yeah. A, have a right area for the That's key it. Yep. That, that, that they can... You know, that way when you reinstall, it just knows to look for that. And that's what I did with my my new system that we were just talking about. And yeah. that that's why that transition was super easy. That was not a problem at all. That was not the case with my old hard drive that had Windows 7 on it. And so would not boot, but I knew that the hard drive was intact. I knew the hard drive worked. There were no... Nothing was corrupted. The, everything was working. And so... It, it started, and, and also I couldn't find the Windows 7 Restore disk because I because it was new games I bought that, that shit. I bought that thing in 2011 when I did my very first PC build. So it's like, I, I thought I had actually hung on to it, and I looked high and low for it, and I could not find it. And so I was stuck with, like, I wanted, I wanted to get this to work. And I was going through all of these forums, like, oh, you know, do this and do that, but nothing addressed the actual problem of, like, you can't boot into it. You don't have access to that key. What do you do? And so I did find some information and it kind of got me going down this rabbit hole. And, and, and I mean, long story short, I was able to, to solve the problem through a, a, a series of, of, of some, some open source programs that you can download. So basically, you know, windows, they, they really want you to just buy a new operating system if this happens to you. And the 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 thought occurred to me though that man, that Windows product key has to be somewhere on the hard drive. Yeah. Stored somewhere. It has to be. Because I feel like otherwise you would constantly have to enter it if you do anything, if you change anything. But well, it's especially before they, they had that in, that encrypted right, element. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so sure enough, the Windows product key is is stored when you when you install it but it's heavily encrypted it's incredibly hard to find and and so even if you find the the actual location it's encrypted and and you can't i mean it's, it's gibberish it's right you look you and you look open the file and it's it, it's nothing it's just a bunch of symbols and numbers and letters it's, right you know, encrypted um, data yeah. garbage yeah so 
how do we solve that problem? So I found an open source product called ProduKey, and that is an it's open source, it's free, and so you download that and you point it. To, well, first you you take the hard drive that you're trying to get up and running, plug it into a working machine, um, and point uh, that um, that program ProduKey at the directory. You have to find it, um, which was its own. <laughs> challenge challenge of pinpointing exactly where it is located but once you find it you can point it at that and it will display it'll take that encrypted information decrypt it and display the product key so that was the first hurdle to, to come over is finding the product key and and i was able to do that and then the process of creating a, bo a bootable usb or dvd and so windows has its own tool for doing that um and and it's hot garbage it's 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 awful and very bad it takes forever it took 20 to 30 minutes for each attempt that i make and made and, and every time it would say that boot sect exe uh was not present could not be found and therefore couldn't you know all, all we've copied all the information but we cannot create a bootable usb for you you just couldn't find the mbr just, could, just couldn't do it huh. and and so so um, microsoft's microsoft's tool to do this to do this couldn't find the master boot record for the disk that it was creating exactly okay just want to make sure we're no, following so if you're <laughs> if you're tearing your hair out like i was at 11 p.m the other night um, which is how it goes right because it's yeah. like hey look man i've got a free evening i'm gonna tackle this thing it's like seven it's cool i have been fed i'm happy i can I, give an hour this is gonna be a great little project tick tock tick tock it's 11 p.m yep and I've invested, it's like, I've invested too much time at this point to give up because <laughs> it's like, I have to see this. We're time. on the line of discovering whether the sunk cost is a fallacy or not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, but, 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 um, and, and so, uh, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I was able to find this open source product to get the windows key product key. I wonder if there's one that does this thing better than windows and. Well, that was a quick answer. <laughs> so there's a program called Rufus that does the same thing. It did it faster and it worked on the first try as opposed to the hour and a half trying it with the Windows designated tool to do this. Oh, my God. Yeah, because like I said, 20 to 30 minutes for each attempt. And so you try a couple different things to kind of tinker around with it. Maybe I'll do this and this will work. And each time it just wouldn't work. So I downloaded that, ran it pointed it at the oh so so yeah you you take the product key and you go to windows and you get you get the iso to to right. create the bootable usb anyway um and then you know you point rufus at at that iso and it creates the bootable drive and then you take your hard drive pub, uh, you know pl plug it back into the the system that you're trying to run and go from there um so you do you do lose all the data that i was on that hard drive that that goes away. It's a new install. At this it's point. a new install authorized by the same key. But, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I, I went, I, when I had it in my, my current host PC, I was actually able to pull a bunch of stuff off that I wanted to keep and I'd forgotten was there. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I was able to save all that stuff, which was great, but know that when you do that clean install, everything goes away. You format the drive. But you figured it out. Dude. But I figured it out and got everything up and running. And last night at around midnight. Yeah, midnight we started yeah. playing Far Cry. 5. We were able to play some Far Cry Five side by side. Yeah, and it was that was good. And the the lag time was super low. I mean, it performed great. Yeah, that was that was a really cool thing to 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 make work and a cool experience and puzzle for me to work out because I I never really had to deal with that problem before and 
I, I found that a lot of fun in the end after the fact. Right. After it's success. <laughs> yeah. Success is a great, uh, it, you know, delineator of fun yeah. sometimes. You but know? it was a, it was a five hour puzzle ultimately to to work out good man good man i very much appreciate it because we're definitely gonna hit that again later hell yeah maybe maybe depending on how we're feeling we'll record it for the shiny audience for uh some future release for funsies we'll see that could be cool we'll see we'll see so and just in case you uh have this problem yourself we uh threw the links to both of those pieces of software into the show notes wonderful how about the news? How about the news? So, the FBI would like you to please, please, reboot your router. Attention! Public service announcement! Reboot all routers! Now! Says the FBI. Yes, says the FBI. It's funny, I never thought that I'd live to see the day where the FBI was advising on security issues network security issues absolutely this is the first first i've heard of it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um so so the fbi um you have released a statement um earlier this week um to to please yeah reset your home office router immediately um there's a, a, a a looming cyber attack and that rebooting your router helps mitigate or prevent uh some of the damage that could be caused by by not doing so this is the VPN filter malware, yes. which situates itself directly into the gateway to the internet, your router at home. And this affects an estimated half a million devices across America, as I recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The interesting, this is, a, a um, I think, very interesting because it sort of gives you a window into the process when law enforcement gets involved in cybersecurity threats, how they tend to kind of go about it. So this particular piece of malware had a component where it had a command and control server talk to installed malware on your devices and issue commands depending on what the uh, puppeteer wanted to happen, okay? Um, Seeing this, the FBI was able to take over that domain and effectively neutralize the effectiveness of this uh, malware at its source. So there's no command and control server to instruct the malware to do anything, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is exactly why they're telling you to reboot your router. The idea being, if you reboot it, the router will not any longer take the uh, or, or adhere to the instructions that it may have previously gotten from this command and control server. When it reloads, it will reach out again and just receive a completely null uh, directive from the CNC server. If you this effectively renders the malware completely innocuous but the problem is it doesn't actually get rid of it if you want to get rid of it on these effective routers you will have to restore to factory settings this this the reboot process only clears the memory yeah. of vpn filter but i just find that fascinating for most people that's good enough right it's like yeah i'm compromised yeah something's in there i don't understand but i rebooted and it's no longer a problem if for instance the fbi were ever to get a hair across their ass and put some <laughs> something on that CNC server that the malware actively in your router is able to talk to, then mm-hmm. they would own your router. Yep, exactly. And that's exactly where they'd like to leave it for now. <laughs> so friends, if you think you might be compromised by VPN filter, just go right ahead and restore to factory settings and it will no longer be a problem. Yeah, and that's easy enough to do. It is 
indeed. Or at least it should be. So Tesla, uh, in, in kind of a long, long expected, I, mean, I feel like this this was supposed to happen quite, quite a while ago, um, uh, is starting to release uh, its uh, cars open source Linux software code. So it's uh, no secret. Well, maybe it is. Maybe you don't know. But um, the software in Tesla cars runs on Linux. It uses the Linux kernel to power uh, all of the things that Tesla automobiles do. And when you use code that falls under the GPL, the um, GNU GPL, you are required to release the changes that you made to that code back to the upstream project so that they can choose to incorporate it. That's part of the deal. You get this for free, but you have to give us the changes. Right. And so in that realm... There's a wide degree of adherence to that. Some companies are very good at it. Some companies are very bad at it. And there's a lot in between. So there exists a couple of organizations, uh, legal organizations, that try to help with that. The Linux Foundation, number one, um, is is there to to help companies, you know, do their legally obligated due diligence there's also the free software foundation and this story uh, revolves around the software freedom conservancy which is another organization that sort of helps guide companies and individuals and organizations into compliance the reason i threw this in there was i thought this was a sort of an interesting look if if software licensing and that whole thing has ever felt just so obtuse and so crazy and 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 weird and you can't understand it I feel like this this article does an incredible job of showcasing the behind-the-scenes work that happens in development, mm-hmm. but also shows that it is so unnecessary to slap people with fines and, 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 and regulations in many cases, where most companies are actually, with you know, with enough communication and understanding both ways, willing to put this code back out into the world, they just need help doing it correctly because it's such a confusing subject about what is touched by the GPL and what is not, right. what things need to be released, what things don't. You know, there's a, there, there is some secret sauce that Tesla is allowed to hold back. It just so happens that if they, any of the code that they use is touched by GPL code, that means that they have to re-release it, and understanding where those lines are is an insanely complex process. I can imagine. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, you know, where in the stack does that li- is that line drawn? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and on. I'm incredibly un- unqualified to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad there are people that do this for a living because I have no fucking clue. So this article kind of walks through that process of what, you know, it has taken Tesla a very long time, and they have technically been out of compliance this entire time. But I really appreciate the Linux Foundation and community's approach to this, where it's they don't, they don't sue. They don't go and turn you into an evil person and, and, and say, oh, my God, I can't believe this, this asshole. Let's, let's, let's crucify them because they're not adhering to the letter mm-hmm. of the license, you know? They say, no, look, okay, you're a business, you're an organization, we understand that there are constraints, we understand that you don't want to give it all up, but we do need you to be in compliance with the license, so let's help you to understand it. This article talks about 
the back and forth between the Software Freedom Conservancy and Tesla as Tesla yielded to them versions of code that they wanted to release to see, hey, is this what we need to do? Is this what we need to release? And the Software Freedom Conservancy would bounce back and say, this is really good, but you should change this. Mm -hmm. This still is touched. This one is not. And eventually, through you know that back and forth process, they come to a consensus of what the scope of their GPL compliance is, mm -hmm. release the source code, and everybody's hunky-dory moving forward. Beautiful. So if Tesla, and I imagine they did, created some, some innovative ways to get jobs done or use the Linux kernel in a new way, that will be, assuming the, uh, the, 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 you know, the development team of Linux will uh, accept it, that will become part and merged back into Linux itself so that we can all enjoy the benefits of that work. Right on. Very cool. That's, that's, I mean, it's just nice to hear that, you know, they're, I don't know, just slapping Tesla with, I don't know, some, some fine like you, or regular. You, you have like, to do it. Like there, yeah. and, and I don't know, as a, as a, you know, I'm a small business owner. I like, uh, some, I, I love, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, how do I say, uh, I, I appreciate entrepreneurs and entrepreneuring endeavors, right? Mm -hmm. But that said, I mean, we all, you know, we all drive the same roads. We all, uh, uh, you know, agree to a bit of a, a bit of a compact when we participate in society. Uh -huh. And one of the agreements that you make when you use this technology is to resupply the code that you may have changed, right. you know, push back your changes. And a lot of people forget that. A lot of people are, they don't forget it. It's just very easy not to do it. Right. <laughs> I'm looking at you, MediaTek. <laughs> so kudos to Tesla. I know, you know, they've gotten some good press and some bad press lately. I just feel like it's important when the process of understanding and communication works to point it out. Right on. Mozilla is bringing Tor to their Firefox, which is which is pretty cool. So what what is what is Tor? That is a the Onion Router. The Onion Router, <laughs> obviously, makes it incredibly clear, right? Yes. <laughs> right, right. Of course, oh, it's an Onion Router. Yeah, the 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 new the new ski new ski Onion Router. Mm. <laughs> oh, I love Vermont satire <laughs> jokes. Ah. Oh. You're welcome. So Tor. So so if, if you don't know what Tor is, basically it's a, a it's a um, uh, kind of helps you defend against kind of uh, network traffic analysis, um, surveillance, that sort of thing. Um, and and Firefox is is bringing it to is bringing it to their browser. browser. That's right. That's right. Um, when it, imagine a you know imagine a network, right? You have many nodes on the network that can communicate to any other node on that network, right? When like you set up your your simple home network, you've got all your computers, you have your access point, you've got uh, some mobile devices, maybe something, you know, um, a couple of computers directly plugged in. Uh, and maybe, you know, like your Hughes lights device, whatever. You've got you've got a, a, you know, a finite number of nodes. Mm -hmm. And when one node needs to communicate to the other, that communication is routed directly to node A to node B, right? Right. What Tor does, what the Onion Router does, is it distributes your traffic across a mesh of connected devices. It distributes and 
allows for a random exit vector. So at the other end of that communication, the recipient is unable to determine the the, the point of origin. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a fuzzing device. It's a it's a methodology of making uh, uh, making hard and obfuscating your point of origin right on. by 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 routing it through a random number of interconnected mesh networks. Yeah, very cool. And and I mean Mozilla Firefox is is already very privacy centric. Absolutely. And and this is this is just a, an even greater step in that direction which is I mean make makes me want to support it even more. Um yeah, I I'm I'm a big Firefox fan. Yeah, me too. I have Actually, it on my phone, I have it on my desktop. And I wasn't. And... That's that's an yeah. important <laughs> distinction is that I was a hater for a lot of years. Um, for me, like, you know, I love, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the open source guy, right? Like I like to put, you know, yep. I, you know, that's, you know, that's my angle. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know, you know what's up, <laughs> yeah. but I actually really disliked Firefox for a very long time and refused to use it and only used Chrome. And it's only in the last year, actually less than that, really six months that I've, I've, I've completely changed my tune and use Firefox exclusively. Uh, well, exclusive as exclusively as my job allows me right. to. <laughs> but for everything that I do, I do it in Firefox first. Now, for a long time now, there's been something called the Tor browser, which is a um, somebody. Well, the Tor project took Firefox, modified it, and made it so that it only works on the Tor network. Mm-hmm. That's been a thing for a long time, and it works really well. To see that now being brought back into the primary Firefox project. And uh, through the you know the filter of their own designers and their own UX people to 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 see how how that's going to shake out is very exciting. I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite interested, especially as Firefox has been I think getting better and better since the. Um, big switch to their multi-threaded version mm-hmm. that was the quantum yes yeah. yeah 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 the quantum it was a quantum leap <laughs> ever since then it's been getting better and better and better um, scott scott bacula is right at the front of their advertising jesus we can only hope <laughs> we really can only hope but the the um as an example the uh container tabs on the inside of firefox big fan awesome implementation Super simple to quarantine various logins across the internet into their own containers inside of Firefox. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been in a situation where you need to log into another service and it's a pain in the ass to log in, log out of the ones that you're currently using, so you spin up a, a inco- an incognito window, um, which happens all the time, right? It's fine, but it's a pain in the ass. Or if right. you've ever been in like just driven insane by Chrome profiles... Firefox container tabs are such a win. It's unreal. To have multiple logins in the same window that are color-coded so that I can bounce between the two and try different things in different login environments. Very cool. Amazing. So with that as the prologue, I'm so excited to see what Mozilla is going to do with this because as they've proven, I think, that they're exceptionally good at in the modern era, you know, in the last, in the last year, exceptionally good at making a user focused product. And Tor is just icing on the cake. It has been discovered that if you are 
operating a, a probably relatively large mining operation, which, which uses uh, lots of GPUs in order to, to do so, you are causing a lot of noise over the, the LTE network and can, can actually, if you have enough, be quite disruptive. <laughs> Very much. If um, it, all, of, all of our ham radio guys and girls out in the audience, of which I'm sure there's tens... Well, <laughs> yeah, it turns out that it, in high concentrations, unshielded GPUs, such as ones that are like, you know, out of a case and those big rigs used to mine cryptocurrencies, actually give off a fair amount of radiation. And that radiation is detectable on the LTE spectrum. So there is a real issue in areas that are that are sort of hot for crypto miners uh -huh. places where you're you know yeah maybe your energy is uh, cheap enough where you can actually make a profit or where the culture is such that you can um that that it just is very pervasive washington state seems to be on the uh, crossroads of both of those things yeah and so there's a lot of crypto miners now what we have linked is the very early days of some research into the phenomenon of LTE noise as a result of high GPU mining paradigms or situations. What you can see on this is that there is a random spike depending on a lot of factors of configuration, but on certain LTE bands, there's a lot of noise introduced into the ambient spectrum by these operations. This is the sort of early days of some research and I'm sure that they will continue it, but that's a real juxtaposition, I would say, mm -hmm. right? As we move further into the future where we blockchain all of the things and as a result, we'll need to have a robust blockchain mining situation for whatever service comes out. Turns out there's a real physical issue a real like like a, a real physics problem with having hundreds of GPUs in open air doing their thing and emitting this this particular type of radiation. Right, right, and I think in the the um, the examples that they're giving here, I think the where the noise really comes from is like a greater than one hundred GPU farm, um, and and seeing. And seeing, um, I think I said, uh, emissions uh, between roughly 696 and 700 megahertz. Yes, 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 yes. Which are actually fairly common mobile device right. bands. Yep. Like that, that, that will affect the performance and connectivity of your cell phone. Yep. Yep, exactly. So there's a lot more research that needs to be done, but uh, we wanted to be at the very beginning of this because i think this is actually going to be a, a larger problem going forward telegram if you've ever used telegram it's a, it's a messaging app um i i used to use it a fair amount i think chris uses it uh quite a bit more yeah, uh, yeah i'm a, I'm a big telegram user um i i have since converted mostly to signal um but but telegram has has come out saying that apple 
uh, has been preventing updates since their last update in a April. They, uh, Apple has been preventing uh, global updates for Telegram on, on their uh, app platform. This is uh, an interesting interconnected story, actually. And it goes back to something we covered several weeks ago about Telegram, the company, refusing to give up the encryption keys to the Russian government. Right, right. Since that time, there's been a, 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 a fair amount of, of uh, evolution in this story. So it's been blocked inside of Russia completely, the entire Telegram service. Jesus. I think we reported on, uh, in doing so, Russia ended up killing a bunch of other services with their ham-fisted response. Basically, they just looked at IP ranges that Telegram traffic was coming from and decided to block it all, forgetting that we live in an era where you can, uh, where AWS and Google Cloud are a thing that right. people use all the time. <laughs> so a lot of other peripheral services were, uh, were killed as a result of that stupid move. However, uh, then Iran said, you know what, let's do that too, because people keep talking openly on Telegram and we can't fucking can't have, have that. that. Not at all, not at all. So Telegram is in an interesting position where uh, they are a Russian company refusing to give the encryption keys to the Russian government. Um, and in what seems like a fairly related move ever since that moment... Apple has disallowed the Telegram Corporation from pushing an update to the iOS Telegram app. Which is so interesting because Apple is usually right at the forefront of of you know user privacy laws and which is exactly you know in line with Telegram's kind of mission to to provide that that kind of private messaging app for for its users. And yeah, to see that Apple is not allowing that update i mean what what's going on there like <laughs> they've refused to comment actually I apple know, is yeah, very yeah, silent about like... this and yet this a lot of other things have happened in the time since since apple has shut the door for telegram a, a little thing called the uh general data protection regulation from the european union has come out and apple has prevented the gdpr compliant update for telegram Telegram is quite big in the EU. I would not say it's as big as uh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp, yeah. WhatsApp is definitely king. Telegram is a fairly close second, mm -hmm. however. And especially in the open source communities, Telegram is sort of a standard uh, platform to be used. So that they are blocking this update is really quite troubling it brings into uh implication lots of 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 potential backlash against telegram through no fault of their own simply because of of being blocked and i can't i i can't understand well, no, I can. The cynical side of me can understand it, but for, but but the the version of reality that if you, that you subscribe to that says that Apple is a protector of individual rights and freedoms, in that paradigm, I can't understand it at all. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. In the paradigm that that's all bullshit and Apple just wants to sell as much shit as they possibly can in every country on the planet, it makes ton tons of sense, <laughs> you know, which is actually the reality, which is actually what Apple does, you know. In America, they say that they stand up for individual freedoms and privacy, while in China, they 
give all of their keys to the government and in russia they block updates from a corporation that makes an app that has run afoul of the government i want to remind everybody that the seminal case that brought this to us if you'll recall the san bernardino shootings where the fbi wanted the ability to crack into the cell phone of the shooters and apple refused that they happily handed over all of the data stored in iCloud to the FBI without a second look. So let's just keep in perspective the actual desires of these companies to protect your privacy and your data. Yeah. It is not nearly as rosy as they would like you to believe. No. And it's certainly interesting timing as well. I, I don't know. I feel like this... The optics talk of, about holding someone's feet to the fire. Like you, this GDPR is sweeping the world right now, and they can't push that update. Right, it's crazy, and and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the optics of this are pretty bad. I, I I feel like for Apple because it's like this this Russian Russian program, and they're you know Ru- the Russian government would happily see it go away, and they're kind of helping that endeavor. And I mean, with regardless of how, you know what you think about the investigation of, of Russian meddling in, in our election, the fact of the matter is is that there you know there are some concerns out there, and I don't know. I feel like this is interesting timing, and that can't look good. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's this story sits at the intersection of massive, massive narratives going on all around us, and and evolving stories that 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 don't necessarily like not all of them have a technical anchor but it's fascinating to see the technical fallout of these political actions yeah speaking of the gdpr yeah microsoft on the other hand which i am a little surprised well i mean i'm not surprised by We'll get into it at the end of the conversation, but but Microsoft is actually going all the way. They're large enough and they're concerned enough about the GDPR that they are bringing all of the rights and privileges for European Union citizens to their entire user base. Yeah, as opposed to someone like Facebook, which is removing their office or their their database of users in Ireland uh, so they don't have to comply quite as much. <laughs> That's unlike a, unlike that you're really gonna pipe the fucking entire european traffic over the atlantic ocean i'm not even gonna like just that's that. insane yeah. <laughs> microsoft yes on the other hand has announced that it will extend those rights uh available to their european uh customers uh to to all of their consumers around the world this move surprises me, especially on the heels of what Windows 10 has come to be. Anybody mm. who has installed Windows 10 personally knows the Hoover-like vacuum situation of, of personally identifiable data yes. that Windows 10 enables, even if you turn all that shit off. Yes. Even if you change your registry and then install an update, it remains a concern. Yep, absolutely. But Microsoft is not the same company that it was in the 1990s. And those of us that used to rail against them really need to get with the times. Um, This company 
is changed, and this is another example of that. I think a couple weeks ago we covered the Azure Sphere operating system that mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft has released, which is, by the way, a Linux-based operating system yeah. that is their focus. All the while, uh, deprioritizing Windows to the extent that they dissolved the entire <laughs> Windows division and uh, merged it with the uh, uh, experience departments, like your office uh, uh, division and all of those, you know, the, the app-centric de uh, uh, departments of Microsoft. So that uh, today, when they are giving the same abilities to global users of Microsoft products that they are the EU, it, it, it makes an old neckbeard-like eye shake my head and, 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 and blink in disbelief. But it is true. Now, going forward, you will have the ability, no matter what Microsoft product you're using, you will have the ability to delete all the data Microsoft has, to port that data out in a standard format. They have provided tools to help you do that, but they will also, per contact, if there's something that you can't easily get out of your account, they will make that happen for you if you contact them. It's quite... I don't even know how to describe it. It's, mm. it's it's quite the sea change from the Microsoft I knew growing up. Yeah, right on. And quite a delta from what like this is this is also I think really sure evidence that the that the Windows product has been massively deprioritized in the mm -hmm. Microsoft Corporation because my, I mean no one can deny my they they built Windows 10 for for metrics. They built it for data collection. Right. It didn't, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff, and it's probably unfair to say that that's the sole purpose, but that's the key differentiator between Windows 10 and previous versions of Windows, mm -hmm. right? You would expect a new version of um, uh, of DirectX or something like that. Yeah. But to me, and maybe you feel the same way, like, that, that was the delineator that really set Windows 10 apart, right? That was the the sort of like delta that said, okay, Windows 10 is a different kind of beast and operating system from eight, seven, and everything previous. For sure, um, I do. I I, I, <laughs> I kind of have to wonder if, if part of of part of this move is kind of a, 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 a preventive measure against a four billion dollar fine, like we saw with Facebook and Google individually individually yeah not collectively friends we wanted to sort of round up a little bit of information on on how the gdpr has rolled out since uh last friday when we recorded right or, yeah right mm -hmm. i think so yep and we were sort of like joking about what the ver what the first action would be are they are are the big boys going to be slapped immediately are they going to be you know uh allowed to 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 walk what's this going to look like and uh, 24 hours after the GDPR went live, the European Union slapped Facebook and Google each with about a 3.6, 3.7 billion dollar fine for violations, retroactive violations of the GDPR. <laughs> like holy, out of the gate, swinging that stick like they own it. Yeah, this is like we are making. A goddamn example. <laughs> like, 
so crazy. I I have to imagine that they will probably fight it in court. Oh, absolutely. This is going the, these cases will now become the defining case law for the GDPR. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're they're this is the this is, you know, uh, the European Union, you know, to their credit or or detriment depending on your perspective, have decided to tackle the biggest fish first. Which I prefer, you know, especially as which which uh, we'll talk about soon, especially as a a a, uh, a part of a small business that is also dealing with GDPR compliance. Like it is a lot. I mean, it's it is a paradigm shift. You could argue that perhaps one should have been building systems that honored these principles in the first place, and I might be inclined to agree with you, but the fact is, for most companies, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. So that they're going after, you know, the the likes, the giants of Facebook, the giants uh, of of Google, with such a hefty fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> this isn't like one of those like couple million dollar slaps on the wrist. This is you know four billion dollars, four times ten times one hundred million dollars. Yeah, I wonder if the European Union will allow financing. I hear interest rates are, are fairly <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still a tiny bit conflicted, right? Because, like, I it, and this is a situation where I 100% agree with the spirit of the law, but I'm a little bit concerned about jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we talked we talked about that. Um, yes, the kind of potential overreach that that the European Union may be exhibiting here. I suppose it calls in it, it sort of showcases that. Our institutions, our companies, our governments are all so very far behind the times of reality. Mm-hmm. We have become so much more interconnected than those institutions understand in, in terms of case law. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess this is the new reality, you know? If 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 you can, you will. And so they did. <laughs> so they did. <laughs> I'll take a, a minute or two to talk about some some personal experiences. Sure. If you think this is the right time for that. Yeah, absolutely. So the company that I work for, we have a couple of, of products, and one of them is uh, focused around helping college students to find their colleges. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not quite launched yet, so I'll, I'll still keep it behind the veil. But basically, it's a it's a data product that lets you uh, understand your chances of getting into to different colleges, which means there's a fair amount of personal data collected when you do so, right? There's a fair amount of uh, individually identifiable, or as the EU discerns, personally identifiable information, right. that PII, right? So it's become a concern. What we have decided to do is make an entirely separate portal for EU citizens. So if you're in the EU, you get a version of our application that is compliant. That is compliant. If you, if you're not in the EU, then you don't. Interesting. That's right. It's it's you know the EU. We've had to duplicate our infrastructure. EU citizens have an EU compliant uh, backend that they connect to when they use the product, and everybody else is uh, is 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 in the same you know non. Well, I don't want to say not EU compliant boat, but just sort of like the 
it's not even that like we want to hoover everything up but it's like it's just we're not we are secure in the fact that we don't need to update these other servers Got to, it. you know yeah, it's yeah. It, it's an odd situation right where you have to make some sort of decision about how you're going to do it and that's you have to you have to sort of draw a line in the sand like there's like um there's been companies that have made like we did a, a an EU version of their site and, mm-hmm. and just redirect all traffic depending on where you geographically connect from. Other companies like Microsoft have gone all in and said, you know what, just everyone, everyone, we're just doing it. It's just it's we can't it we we can't do anything right. else. You know? <laughs> and still, um, other companies have closed or folded or said, you know what, fuck it, we just don't serve the EU anymore. It's it's a mixed bag, but I will tell you. I mean, I work for a company of six or seven people, uh-huh. and it's affected us too. In 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 nowhere USA, I feel like we're going to hear over the next year will be such a fascinating thing to watch the the different strategies and methods that people put forward to be GDPR compliant. But or one not. thing is for sure, this is not going anywhere. No. No, not at all. This is the new reality. Yeah, right on. So, yeah, I guess either you 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 get with it or well, you don't do business with the European Union citizens. That's it for the news. And if that's all you're here for, go ahead and turn us off. Or, hey, stick around for the deep dive. Guaranteed, we will be back next week with the latest, the greatest, and sometimes the hated in gaming and technology. You can look us up on shinypodcast.com where you can subscribe to the latest shows and check out whatever we're cooking up for you. Download the Shiny Podcast and all your favorite pod-catching applications. And if you want to say hi or make a suggestion or share hot to contact news, you can visit shinypodcast.com slash contact. Fill out the form or just email us at hello at It's really useful when you chop your MP3s to the appropriate length and make sure that you have fade outs and shit. I'll tell you, that's a someday we're going to do a tech episode about how we make the podcast. We've been asked by listeners and friends of the show to go through and detail all of the things that we do to make this podcast because mm-hmm. it, it's pretty cool. What I would like to know if anybody could 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 send us some feedback or or uh you know give us a a hint is if that's interesting to you if you'd like to hear about how we make this show if you'd like to uh to have us expand and how far you'd like us to to go with that i i as a you know recovering audio engineer can (laughs) go pretty darn deep but uh we don't want to bore you so if you could please actually email us at hello at shinypodcast.com and let us know. That'd be swell. We would love to hear from you. Absolutely. We have a deep dive this week. And it's a deep dive that I know is going to hurt at least one of us. <laughs> and so for that, I am sorry. Because we're bringing up, we're, 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 we're scratching at the scab a little bit. Are we not? A little bit, yeah. But the internet went insane. Immediately, and, and, and I think that it's a, a moment to reflect 
on how we consume information, especially when it comes to gaming franchises that we love so very much. Yes. So earlier this week, a uh, live stream uh, from from Bethesda Studios showed up on Twitch, and it was a series of of you know Fallout related things you know like a you know bobblehead and and you know different people in the company like the the vp of marketing pete Hines showing up and you know just kind of little things and i think it ran for about 24 hours and you know just just a couple of of um you know just a, a bunch of stuff that they were showing just people doing random things it didn't really seem to you know really add up to much but what, what became very clear was that they obviously doing it for a reason this wasn't just just for for fun and so the the speculation started to to come in as to what exactly was happening because the electronics um expo sorry the what is it something something electronics expo e3 there's a third e word there. right <laughs> um is, explosive is explosive electronics <laughs> expo very dangerous time for everybody uh is coming up in a couple of weeks, less than a couple of weeks at this point. And so this is the time when major, um, you know, AAA gaming companies will, will announce their titles that are coming up. And so, you know, we uh, definitely expect, you know, you know, we, we got a, a, an early announcement from Bethesda about their sequel to Rage, Rage 2, uh, and and you know a couple of other smaller things, but I I I I feel like most people probably weren't expecting to see anything Fallout related because we got Fallout Four in 2015, which was just uh, uh, three years ago, which is on the heels of what five years of speculation that there was going to be a Boston-based Fallout game. Yes, and was, that was that was just the speculative period. The actual period of time between Fallout Three and and Fallout Four, which were both by Bethesda Game Studios, as opposed to you know Fallout New Vegas, which was developed Obsidian. by Obsidian. Um, you know that that range of time was between two thousand and eight and two thousand and fifteen. That's a long time. It's a long time, and so I mean that's that's how long it takes to to make you know games like that. Um, and so to see now something three years out was not something certainly that I expected. And I, 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 I feel like a lot of people were in that same boat. Nevertheless, shortly after that 24 hour stream on Twitch of, of utter nonsense, uh, and much speculation to, to exactly what, what the fuck they were what doing, what the hell they were doing including you know, i i thought we were getting a fallout 3 new master you were you were not alone in fact there were a couple of people one of us uh, uh, one reddit user said he would drink a bottle of tabasco sauce if it was not a fallout 3 remaster well he had to pony up and sure enough delivered on drinking that bottle of of tabasco sauce because uh it turned out that bethesda is releasing a new game called fallout 76 and that has lent to so so we, we we didn't get any additional information to exactly what the game is except that the trailer that they released uh starts in the vault uh and opens up not to the ink spots song i don't want to set the world on fire but rather 
um, but rather uh, John Denver. John Bender, an, an interpretation of John Denver's Country Roads. Yeah, exactly. And so that that suggests that the game is probably set in Appalachia, whether it's Western Virginia or West Virginia, um, is is you know remains to be seen. But uh, it is it is a new game, a new completely new game. Like we're not talking about it. This, no remaster, no DLC, no addendum, no mobile app. This is a completely new Fallout game. And and such the hype train left the station in a real hurry, and the it exploded. The, it ex- exploded, recongealed, and redetonated within I'd say an hour of this trailer going out. Yeah. So everyone went nuts. The rumor, the 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 wings of rumor flew and flew quickly and and so where the 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 bomb really dropped and and so so traditionally if if you're not familiar traditionally the fallout franchise is a single player role-playing game experience uh which has been the case up until this point i think it's it's a good a good point to sort of talk about what uh some of the details of that trailer right some of the some of the things that uh, people sort of latched onto just just to sort of frame sure. the the, ne- the next point and where I know you're going. This trailer it, uh, showed an empty vault where a party had taken place and gave some clues as to the setting of it, right? Like the country road song, mm-hmm. um, and as well as a Pip Boy with a particular date on. This date was only twenty five years after the bombs fell. In the Fallout universe. Which, for the rest of the games, usually take place a couple of centuries later. Right. Exactly. So this is a much, much earlier point in the timeline. It showed an empty vault, sort of sweeping cameras through this vault that had very obviously recently had a party celebrating Reclamation Day. The day where... Citizens of the vault could go back to the surface and start again, right? That is very much the idea that this trailer was meant to to drive home. Right. That there are people in a vault and it's time to go back to the surface. Go back out. Fallout 76. So, this brings us to a tweet. Of course, it always... Because it's 2018. And apparently, every that's how we do shitstorm starts on Twitter now. So it it starts with a tweet, and it, the the tweet was from a Kotaku, uh, which is an online kind of gaming publication, um, by by a, a, a journalist uh, Jason Schreier, and the 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 basically the gist of, of the tweet was that anyone who is expecting fallout 76 to be a single player rpg experience is going to be very disappointed and boom boom so the entire internet freaked the fuck out like it was october 2077 truly and so the so 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 why why were people so up in arms about that? So the core base of this gaming franchise uh, expects and looks forward to that single player RPG experience, myself included. 
That's not, what not not compromised by by online play, loot boxes, or whatever the latest trend is. People buy Bethesda games like Fallout and the Elder Scrolls because they are an immersive single player world right. with lots to explore. Right. And I if I don't want to be connected to the internet when I play, or if I don't want to play with other people, I don't have to. Because generally speaking, I don't want to. <laughs> it may have been perhaps, or it may be perhaps, something of an oasis in this new world of online gaming. Right. Like, like you know, the, the Battle Royale trend, like uh, PUBG and Fortnite, which are very popular, but for... They may and you may enjoy the fuck out of them. Yeah, they may there's be nothing perfect. There's nothing and, wrong with yeah, it. It's just that some of us don't want to be right. connected and all it, the time. Yeah, it, I, I want to. Yeah, definitely want to emphasize that. At, at in no way am I saying that like those games are stupid or that like those games don't have value. I just, on a personal level, is a big fan of this franchise, but not only that single player experience. I don't find a lot of personal value in those games. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so with this tweet comes all of the questions of, well, wait a minute, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean? So all of a sudden the, the speculation train leaves the station catching up with the hype train and everyone's like, this is rust. Things are going off the rails. This yeah. is, this is, this is Minecraft meets PUBG. Like people, I mean, myself included thought, oh, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and I, I was right there. I was, I, I don't, the, that isn't the game that I want to play. And it's like, I love this universe. It's meant so much to me. And to see that they might be going in that direction was a real bummer. Uh, I was really bummed out. And that happened, like, like the elevation of excitement and just the crash happened within a couple of hours for me. Like, I think that was a fairly shared experience. Yeah. I mean, Bethesda's marketing department must be fucking shitting bullets. Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because it, and the, I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, obviously get into this a little bit more, but it's like the, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that all of this is rumor and speculation and no one knows what this game is. We've had 120 seconds of pre-rendered video. That's right. It. We have, that is absolutely it. And so, I mean, it, well, exactly. And the marketing department at Bethesda has to be losing sleep over this because they are either going to lose <laughs> a part of their core fan base or they're going to blow them away. But we have to wait another week and a half before we get a definitive answer on that. This is very much a part of a larger issue where we seem, in 2018, we seem to just go from zero to 100 without anything in between. No thought, no, 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 no pausing and breathing, nothing like that. We go from stimulus to outrage without ever considering what might actually be happening. Yeah, and so sure enough, the, this, this, um, this journalist for Kotaku got, Jason Trier got quite a bit of backlash some i mean should he have said anything probably not but the the i mean he's obviously ha he has a motivation to sell his articles right and there's also i mean there, there's a whole other side plot about um the blacklisting of publication like kotaku from bethesda due to some stuff 
some early leaking of information with Fallout 4. And there, that, that's a whole other story that I don't don't really feel like is super important at this point but but, but perhaps peripherally pertinent yes so so the the question all you know kind of became is this legitimate is this some sort of you know uh revenge of, of you know, some kind against the fans of this games of these games uh but but the the fact remains that it, it put the question out there you know you know is this going to be an online multiplayer game and so a lot of backlash came to to this this person and and you know a lot of it unfortunately again the polarization of of our our, our culture and online reaction to, to things like this a lot of anti-semitic uh uh resp- gross, which is absolutely disgusting yeah. um which is just really really unfortunate um and 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 so you know this this person has been regularly responding to <laughs> kind of trying to explain what he meant meant by all of this before the uh the the herd <laughs> ran away with a version of reality yeah, that just may went or may not exist. off the cliff <laughs> um so so that's that's kind of what's going on and and so i've i've kind of taken the stance at this point that all right i'm 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 concerned but i'm just going to wait i'm just gonna wait until june 10th comes along we get we get the actual announcement the actual gameplay during their presentation at e3 and until that point i'm just i'm gonna try not to think about it because yikes (laughs) Uh, to to sum up our friend jason schreier's comments uh yes fallout 76 is going to be a multiplayer rpg no that's not automatically a bad thing just like all of you, I'm stoked to see the game on June 10th, and I'm optimistic that it's going to be really cool. Right. It could be anything at this point. We, we just don't, don't know. No, a goddamn thing. But I'm willing to remain in the camp that says, hey, new Fallout content? Great. Yeah, I'm... I've, I've, got, I've got one foot in that camp, and I've got one foot in the... Don't hurt me. Don't please don't hurt me. Not and but I'm but I'm certainly not in the camp of like I'm gonna burn all my Fallout paraphernalia like <laughs> if if this isn't exactly what I want because I'm in I don't know a child because you're a child yeah so you're so not, I'm definitely I'm definitely not in that camp um but but I I mean this this whole story I mean it just says. It's a, yeah, it just says so much about about how reactive everyone is these days about this kind of thing, and and nobody the... wants to pause and think or think critically. It's it's very frustrating because it is it's very like... frustrating. It's hard to have a conversation with anybody because right. because everyone just just loses their absolute mind over over this stuff and immediately defaults to rage. Just binary thinking, on or off, one or zero, zero to one hundred. It's just stupid. Life is more nuanced than that, friends. Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm, yes, cautiously optimistic. More of the cautious than, than, than the latter. But I, I am excited to see what they have. And yeah, you know, honestly, if it winds up being a disappointment, at the very least, 
I'm still excited for CD Projekt Red announcement of Cyberpunk 2077. I think that's where a lot of this comes from, too. Oh, yeah. I think that's, you know... <laughs> yeah, that is that is not unrelated. <laughs> not at all. I mean, Bethesda knows that, that at least in, in some arenas, they've been beaten at their own game. You know, CD Projekt Red's Witcher 3 was such an excellent adventure in replayable rpgs the most excellent yeah no it it, it sets the bar and that's with a a permanent character too unlike bethesda's elder scrolls offerings you know that's with a single player like a single character that you that you have to use yeah somehow they were able to do it it's amazing it's it really is a testament to the craft and bethesda's looking at that and saying okay we have to compete in fact that singularly is what makes me excited for this because competition is a good thing. When you get complacent and rest on your laurels, that's when you put out shitty material. Yep. But when someone comes along and says, hey, we can do this better than you, that motivates you to make a great game. That is what brings out the coolest content and innovation. And I really feel like 76, Fallout 76 is a, a, in some way, this will be a response to other companies encroaching on this territory. Right on. So we shall see. Yep. So that, that presentation comes June 10th. I keep saying a week and a half. In reality, that's, that's, well, that's a, a, a week and a day away from the recording of this. And then, you know, by the time this episode drops less than a week. Less than a week. Right. That's right. So we shall see, but but that was that was an interesting uh, a real roller coaster over the past few days <laughs> about what was going on with with Bethesda's announcement here. I hope that we can all take a moment and understand and analyze the situation because I am super sick of outrage culture. I'm really sick of it. Yeah, really, really. I like am. to talk about things and have opinions and let those opinions be out in the open and have people challenge them and discuss that with them. And and there's really no room for that in in this this paradigm. So, no. I like to think that listeners of this show agree with me uh, and agree with us and 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 want to talk about the cool the cool things and and sort of lower the relative energy of the entire situation. But Fallout 76's announcements will go down in history as an example of why things can go so off the rails with the best of intentions. (laughs) It'll all be okay, folks, no matter what. Hopefully it's good news. And if it isn't, life is still going to go on. Yeah. We got lots of games to look forward to this year as the, the aforementioned Cyberpunk 2077, Red Dead Redemption 2, as well, I'm, I'm hoping we'll see a little bit more of that at E3 in addition to this. I've heard a, a tease of a, a something else from Bethesda. Perhaps another loved franchise getting a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a push. We shall see. Ooh. Yeah, I've heard that too. I have heard. But we shall uh, report on it. Let's see. Will it be next week? It will not be next week. No. But the week after that, we'll be back talking about all the latest and greatest. Yeah, from E3. we'll be recording just, or the episode will drop just after all that happens. So it'll be the following week. We will is... have something from WWDC to talk about. Yeah, right. So Whatever is latest from the Apple camp will dissect. As always, for your pleasure and information. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening, folks. Uh, this this has been this has been great. I'm glad uh, glad you have you. Glad to be here with Chris in the same room recording this episode because that's pretty cool. Likewise, this yeah. is awesome. We yeah, do this more often. Absolutely. So if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. We are on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Ali 11 I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Kali Ali 11 Can you spell that? C O L L I E O L L I E 11. Mine's Fluxola. And at Cast the Shine. Uh, check us out on Facebook, website shinypodcast.com. Of course, email us. We would love to hear from you with any questions, suggestions, whatever it may be. Hello at shinypodcast.com. Remember, friends, just breathe. It's all going to be Thanks for listening, folks. Bye.